0: Hello and welcome to the Human Nurture Podcast. I'm your host Jason Brand, a practicing couples therapist in Berkeley, California, and this is the kickoff to season number two. In season one, we looked at how someone learns to think like a couples therapist, and we did this through expert interviews that explore the underlying theories of PACT, a psychobiological approach to couples therapy. For this season, we will be looking at how does a couples therapist actually learn to do their job. In other words, how do you know what to think, how to approach, where to situate yourself, and what to actually do when sitting in front of the really difficult challenges that couples face. For this season of the podcast, I'll be interviewing actual couples and getting feedback from actual couples therapists. However, the podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. No one listening should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content of this podcast without seeking professional advice and or counseling, nor shall the information be used as a substitute for professional advice and or counseling. I want to start the season off with a question that I've heard from various people over the years in various forms when I tell them what I do for a living. And they'll often say, don't you hate sitting around listening to people complain about their marriages all day? And yeah, my life would be pretty awful if I thought of it that way. But what keeps me from feeling like I'm just hearing people complain all day is that when you tune your senses or tune your ears and your eyes to... The psychobiological approach, you start to see things from a very, very different vantage point. One thing to keep in mind is that when people are complaining, what they're usually doing is trying to communicate their pain. And once you locate that pain, there are a lot of ways to think about it. Sometimes you might think about it or listen to it from the perspective of ghosts from past generations that still haunt the person to this day. Sometimes you can hear how inequality and racism and bigotry impact history and culture and how this limits growth and the ability to relate to the people we depend upon. You can watch and hear as the couple tries to access the upper regions, the upper parts of the brain, but keep getting stuck in patterns of relying on the lower parts of the brain that are far more likely to go to war and the broken promises and failed agreements that this inevitably creates. If you listen right you can almost always find the baby that still lives on in each person and that desperation and anger and cold contempt that often we see in our couples all of a sudden sound like cries for help and notice that I didn't even get to the part where I get out of the way and the couple starts to become psychobiologists for themselves for each other and for the relationship so on a good day I can hear enough to make my job enjoyable and actually very fun I'm hoping to provide you with a taste of this as a listener this season. If you're a trained couples therapist or someone who's just curious about what goes on in a couples therapy or in the mind of a couples therapist, my goal is to help you listen like a psychobiologist and that you could use this for, the, for yourself, for the people in your life, for people that you care about. Another thing I really want to get across this season is that couples therapy is often messy. We call what we do a couples therapy practice for a reason. We are practicing a craft, and that is always a work in progress. You hear a Stan Tatkin, who's the founder of PACT, or an Esther Perel. You can check out her podcast, So Where Do We Begin? Or a Terry Real of TRL Therapy, and they sound like wizards or sorcerers who could come along and fix your relationship with the wave of a wand. They are master craftspeople who've spent countless hours listening to couples. The truth is that for the rest of us couples therapists, and actually the masters too a lot of the time, We have to work alongside the couple to figure things out. We have to be engaged in the unfolding of the process, and that requires growth by the therapist as well. And growth, as we know, takes trying things that don't often work and learning from our mistakes. Thus, this season will at times sound messy and maybe even a little bit boring. I know that I say at the beginning that this is for entertainment purposes. Well, that doesn't mean that it's always entertaining. We learn through repetition and the willingness to try new things and all of this takes time and effort and some mistakes and of course the couples therapist learns from their experience and we grow and hopefully you will hear my improvements with my messes as a therapist over each episode and the season as a whole so the idea for how to go about this season was relatively simple I was going to go out and find couples to interview and record those interviews Then I was going to have expert consultants listen to my interviews and provide me with feedback. Then go back to the couple and do another interview. And hopefully this would ease some of the burden for the couple and give you, the podcast listener, enough of an inside view of things to understand how the job gets done. Well, the execution of this proved to be a little bit more complicated, or a lot more complicated. I keep thinking of this season as somewhat of a beast and that i'm repeatedly thinking that i've got a hold of the beast and then it raises up on me bears its teeth and lets me know that couples therapy is not such a direct line from problem to solution some of the beast is just pure and simple logistics first there were the challenges of finding the motivation to get anything done during a global pandemic. For me, there was work and home and work and home, repeat, 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 and not much room for anything else in between. Then there was the challenge of finding actual couples to share intimate details about their lives and participate on a podcast that they had never heard of. Then there was the ambitiously foolish notion that two clinical interviews with a struggling couple and an hour of consultation was enough to create a podcast that honestly depicted the work of couples therapy and provided some help to the couple. The lesson of thinking that there is a couples therapist, sorcerer, or wizard clearly applies to me also. So this season is still a work in progress and I'm finding some things out. One is that I need more consultant interviews um, and that that's necessary to kind of give me an idea of what's happening and give the listener an idea and to help the actual couple. And I'm tinkering with how many couple interviews are the right amount. So stay tuned on that. At this point, I am very happy to report that I've got enough of a hold on this beast to begin posting episodes. I found three wonderful couples to come forward and share their stories, couples therapists who have given wonderful insight and feedback into my work with the couples that I interviewed, and I found really great producers who are helping me to shape the narrative arc and to provide editorial feedback. A couples therapist's first involvement with a couple is usually via voicemail or an email. It usually is something like, Hi Jason, we got your name from a colleague of yours who recommended you for couples therapy. My partner and I have been struggling for a while with some issues related to, and here they'll say money, mess, sex, kids, etc. And we're hoping to set up an initial interview. Oftentimes there is an idea of a solution that's needed. We need better communication skills or someone who can hear both sides or they just kind of say how difficult things have been. We're really tired of the cycles, we can't seem to get anywhere, something like that. And then they leave a number and say, can you call me back? From there, I'll usually have a short phone call with the couple to get more information and to see if my training and skills match with their challenge. In that phone call, I can usually get a sense of basic biographical information, a presenting problem or challenge, a sense of how both partners sound, and a general feel for the dynamic between the couple. I want to give you a sense of this information for the three couples that are going to be featured over this season of the podcast. But before I do that, I want to give you an, a packed principle or a way of talking about a complicated principle, but with a simple idea that really helps people, I think, as they wrap, begin to wrap their minds around what is going to be the point or what is going to be the goal of a pack therapy. So one idea or concept that people really take too quickly and is helpful in describing therapy is the idea of the couple bubble. Pack Therapy helps couples to shift their focus from being self-protective or uh, being in a one-person system to being in a two-person system through strengthening their couple bubble. The couple bubble is a mutually constructed and maintained ecosystem that provides protection from an often challenging outside world. The job of the couples therapist becomes creating a space for the couple to define, explore, debate, argue over the environment that is going to be inside their couple bubble one that is just and fair and takes into account the needs of both partners. And that is going to become what a lot of what a pack therapy is going to be aiming to do. So again, this season of the podcast is about how to think and act and move like a couples therapist. And hopefully that gives you just an overarching general idea of what the goal of a pack therapy is. Now let's move into the actual couples and we're gonna start with Bart and Susan, a couple in their 50s. I interviewed them in October of 2020, and at that point they had been together two and a half years. They described their challenge as being around money, time, and work. Let's hear a little bit from Bart and Susan.
1: Once we had, I would say, kind of our our blow up, then we got to some of the core issues and core feelings, and um, I was trying to Summarize that, which isn't always so easy, because I tend to put things in boxes and put them away. So I was opening that up, and yeah, it was just it was um not easy to, to talk about. I guess
2: Bart has lots of boxes. I have none. Mm-hmm. We have this sort of like saying that mm-hmm. he's like got all these containers in there, and you know, the worst, you know, the world could be falling apart, and he can fall asleep at night. And <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I am the opposite. It's like that thing, it's it's more lonely when you're with somebody and feel alone than it is when you're alone and feel lonely.
1: I think that <clears throat> the anger comes as kind of a final defense system. I don't think I start there. It's down there and
2: it comes up whenever I'm feeling defenseless or I don't have anywhere else to go. And then the the other... The other thing that it brings up for me is just that there were glaring, awful things happening in my family when I was growing up, and everybody acted like everything was fine, and nobody, it couldn't ever be talked about, and I was the canary in the mineshaft. I was the the one who, I never had validation around the things that were obvious problems, and, and we all just had to like dance around them
1: but i wasn't the
2: canary i was more like you know the person that tried to keep the calm and just stay stay the course that we go through this painful unproductive trajectory and then finally end in this vulnerable, more open place where we get to some of the core issues, but we're so exhausted and gone through so much pain to get there that what I believe is that we leave those conversations and I feel hopeful, like, oh, it's finally on the table. We can talk about it. And then I think it's sort of a safe place to go, but it's not.
0: Okay, next up is gonna be Charlie and Yael. They're in their thirties. They've been married about five years. And their challenge is really about how do I take care of myself and take care of you at the same time? Let's hear a little bit from Charlie and Yael. So this is, uh, this is Yael. Uh,
1: she is her own person. She would, <laughs> would wants it for you to know that. Um, I happen to be her husband. I don't want to say that hers is the ultimate correct mm-hmm. background. And there's times when in our relationship... Um, because she's so much more in control of her, like emotions and temperament. And I'm a lot more open and vulnerable to like my feelings being out there. Um, There's times where I get a a little upset because I feel, I don't know. I I just feel like yo yours, it's not just like your way of being is the correct way of being. Mm -hmm. Like I feel the way I feel. And I I might not want to live the way that I was before, but that doesn't mean that that's necessarily wrong. Mm Ultimately, there's I, for for me, there's a lot of times where I just don't feel heard, and I don't know if that's just because like I'm not communicating well enough where it's resonating for that, or or if I'm actually just like being ignored. Um, but then at the same time, when it comes to Yael, like I feel like even last night, I I get so overwhelmed with life and with my own things that um, it's hard for me to sometimes hear her out.
3: I will get anxious for his stress levels, like not wanting him to get too stressed and then wanting to like be helpful. But like you said, like not knowing like how to be the most helpful. So what that looks like for me is like, okay, just trying to be as like least disturbing as possible so that he can process whatever it is that he's going through or like do whatever it is. Um, So kind of like trying to stay out of the way, but then not ignoring him because then I feel like I don't want him to think that I don't care, but that's a hard place to be. in because like, if I'm trying to show that I care, sometimes he doesn't, if he's too stressed out, doesn't interpret that as me caring. It's like, just I'm getting in the way. So I get very stressed about it too. So what it looks like for me then is just like having to acquiesce to whatever it is that is like going to calm him down. So I feel less of a, Like I could less be myself because I have to like make sure he's okay. I feel like touching him does make him feel like right now my foot is on his foot. And that was like, I feel like when I did that, it was you calm down more. And then, but my hand is for me you to be chill, like be happy with yourself the way I'm happy with you, you know, so that's but sometimes I don't know how to how to do that. And how did like he was saying, like, I don't know how to do that. And then like validate him and also be like, but the way that you spoke to me was wrong, you know, to me, I don't like being talked to that way. You know, if it, if it was, a, was a fight or something.
1: Like, I, I feel like as a relationship has gone on, I've realized more and more that I don't know that much about like you, even though I know you and, and all that, but like, you know, sometimes I think that you don't even know that much about your, yourself either that you haven't really been able to explore. Um, and during the time that you could have was during the time that I was like,
3: let's mm-hmm. talk about me. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so if we can kind of, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to. Yeah,
3: like to I always remember. feel like Charlie has has a, um, he wants to know about me, but mm-hmm. also is, is dealing with his own things for so long that that it's difficult
0: all right and the final couple of the season is Ron and Shakir they have been married for 33 years Ron is in his 70s and Shakir is in her 50s and they have really grown distant um, over the last several years and the question is is how do we deal with this distance in our relationship and here is Ron and Shakir
4: for years now, we basically have lived our lives in separate parts of the house. Uh, usually, Shakira is in the bedroom. This is where she spends most of her time doing whatever, computer, phone, whatever. I am usually in our den where the TV is and I'm watching TV there. So we're not in the same general vicinity. And there are occasions where we may be walking through the house and pass each other And nothing is said. We just walk by each other, going where we're going, and and that's it.
5: I think for me, not engaging in conversation is a way of being protective of myself. I have expressed to Ron that a lot of the times when I am engaged with him, I feel like he's being indifferent or dismissive, and so to avoid that feeling... I just don't engage because I don't like I don't like having to process all of that out. It takes so much out of me to try to figure out, OK, is he being indifferent because he focused on something else? Am I just not important? So it it, it was a defense mechanism for me. And I, I say it was. I I would still say it is.
4: And when she can have open and meaningful conversations with other people and not with me, then obviously my thought is that she doesn't want to have those conversations with me. And because of that, I don't push the effort of trying to be together or, you know, spend time together or whatever. So in answer to that question about how we are when we're apart, I say it's acceptable. We both accept the fact that we're not together and uh, have made, Little uh, few attempts to improve it. You know, it's like once we get to that point where we're, we don't argue or, or go through any, anything like that, we just don't talk. When we get to that point, it's like it's acceptable. We go our separate ways in the same house and don't, you know, spend any time together, and it doesn't seem to create a problem. Now, do we think about it? I can only speak for me. Yeah, I think about it. But what I think is that during those quiet times, uh, the times we're not talking, that that is what Shaquille wants.
5: As I have understood that, okay, Ron has a life. My life has essentially been centered around other people, other relationships, and that kind of thing. So now that all my children are adults, it's like, okay, so now who who are you? What do you find enjoyable? How are you going to have a life separate from what you imagined or assumed you would have with Ron? So I've been focusing on that. I think the more I have focused on that, the less, the less sad I have been, the less disappointed. And I, and I have been purposeful in another way. And so I think, I think that has helped me emotionally, but I don't think it has helped us Because truthfully, there really is no us.
0: So that gives you an introduction to the three couples I will be interviewing for this season. Again, I so appreciate Bart and Susan, Ron and Shakir, and Charlie and Yael for coming forward and sharing their stories and engaging in this process. I also hope that this brief introduction gave you a sense of the amount of information that a couple's therapist has when a couple walks through the door for the first time. And in the next episode, a couple is going to walk through my metaphorical door, because we met on Zoom, and it's going to be the first half of the couple clinical interview with Bart and Susan. I'll do a brief introduction, and then about 40 minutes of their couple clinical interview. And I'm looking forward to going on this journey with you over the course of season two. This project is certainly pushing me to grow and learn, and I'm hoping that it provides you with opportunities to learn and grow along with me. Okay, so until next time, thank you for joining me on the Human Nurture Podcast.